Hey everyone, we're having a giveaway for our copy of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. By the end of the day today, we'll have reached over 10,000 downloads. Also as of this week, it has been one year since we released a history of the world of Ostia and started on our own journey to our actual play podcast. To celebrate both of these amazing events, we wanted to do this giveaway so that you could use the monsters like the ones we used in our own Podcast of Foes episode. The link to join the contest will be in the description, and we're running this from June 1st till June 7th. This contest is only for our U.S. listeners, so I do apologize to all of our international audience, but we'll be doing something special very soon. So please give us a like, leave us a comment, and follow us, but most importantly, check out the link in the description to enter. Thank you all for helping us get this far, and we really had no idea that we would be here a year ago. Anyway, on to the show. Have you ever found yourself after a game of D&D debating over a particular rule that came up and trying to figure out, as a group, how to break it? As a DM, do you get that feeling of dread when your player asks, if you look at it this way? Well, we decided to turn that into a podcast. A group of DMs come together every episode as we discuss how rules is written we can figure out how to maximize what we can do with a rule and how we can use other rules to break the game. Each episode, we will be joined by a guest, including DMs from some of our favorite podcasts, and get a sneak peek behind the DM screen from some of our favorite shows as they share their own thoughts and experiences on a particular rule and how it has affected their games. Please feel free to jump in on our discussions by leaving us a comment on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or feel free to email me at dm at dndraw.com, or send us a tweet to at rulesaswritten, and let us know how the rule may have come up during one of your games, or how you figured out a way to break the game that we didn't discuss. So, thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Bethany. Hey, I'm Tony. Hey, it's Rachel. This is Francesco from the Hapless Heroes Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about critical successes and failures. All right. So for the interview questions, uh, the first one, uh, Francesco, is uh, can you tell us about what you create? Yeah. So I co-host and DM for the Hapless Heroes podcast. It's like an actual play fifth edition D&D podcast. Um, and it's I'm, you know part of the reason why I'm really excited to discuss this topic tonight is because we like to celebrate, you know, all of our critical successes and our critical failures and make them as spectacular as possible. Uh, so this is a, just like a perfect fit. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's literally what we do. <laughs> it's literally what we do all the time. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not um, like a G-rated podcast, so I should probably say that. But uh, the stuff that we get into, I don't know, it's just we're kind of homebrewing the world on the fly and coming up with wacky and crazy characters. And I don't know, I just it's one of the most fun things I've ever done in my entire life. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons we thought this topic was interesting uh, was not just because you have particularly relevant stories, Francesco, but because we all as players, I think, feel so strongly about critical successes and failures, but there's so little treatment of them in the actual rules. Mm -hmm. Like, it's yep. remarkably short. Like, normally it takes a long time to put together, like, the notes for an episode. I don't <laughs> think this took Tony very long, did it? Maybe... 15 20 minutes and a lot of that was like double checking to make sure i wasn't missing anything yeah yeah i actually thought you didn't hadn't finished the notes yet when i looked because i'm like oh it's only like one page long you're like what? surely there's more how many pages yeah. was the last one <laughs> i was gonna say one of the big things i noticed is i was uh i was going through the pdf and i just did a search of critical success and it only appeared in one spot in the, the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Handbook, and Xanathar's Guide, which is what I was looking for, and that's in just in the Dungeon Master's Guide, and it's just a little brief snippet. Right. Yeah. And it basically says that rolling a 20 or a 1 on ability check or save doesn't have any special effect. Because we all know that how it works for rolling 1s or 20s on attack rolls, but we kind of feel like there should be more to it for other sort of ability checks and, and saving throws but basically the rules just say it's up to you as dm to determine how this manifests in the game right that's, a, that's my favorite kind of rules. rules is written right there yeah where it says yeah there's no rule for this do what you want exactly <laughs> it's exactly. your own game figure it out <laughs> yeah yeah and i i think that's um it's always it's good in other ways it means that like every single game or every single dm handles it differently well one of the things i was like i actually 
had only realized that the ability check uh, 20 and a 1 don't mean anything. I didn't fully realize it doesn't matter for a save either. And that means some really high-level enemies, it doesn't matter what you roll, you failed. Mm-hmm. So this kind of brought up um, my stance on rolls is if a roll cannot succeed, it shouldn't be a roll. Because I feel like there's nothing more heartbreaking as a player than rolling and getting a natural 20 and being prepared to celebrate and then being told, you failed anyways. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Like, save yourself the, uh, you know, the grief, right, of looking at, especially wasting a good roll like that. Also. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Like, if it's completely impossible, I think that a, a good DM is going to just say, like, say. don't even bother. Yeah, just going to say, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, man. It's not happening. Like- it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be a thing. Which I, I've done might. it. I do that for ability checks sometimes because there are certain, you know, player characters who literally can't succeed on certain checks because they have negatives, and <laughs> you know it's just not gonna happen. And I I think it would be cruel just to say, well, I'll have you roll. Ha ha ha! You fell for my clever trap where you can't succeed. Um, <laughs> Suck it, Trebek. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that's what you're doing behind yeah. your screen. <laughs> Basically, Mohawk. Bethany is the most diabolical. <laughs> Me? It's definitely Tony. Tony's a more it's diabolical. Yeah. I'm like, if I'm evil, I'm very upfront about it. Tony's secretly evil as a DM. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. evil DM. I think it, that every player thinks that their DM is secretly evil, no matter what. Because the, the thing yeah. is, like, you kind of, and it's it's a sort of like a, a double edged sword of DMing because it's it's <laughs> a lot of fun, but at the same time, like, it just you completely erode the trust between you and your friends when <laughs> well, they sit down at your table to play the game. Yeah, yeah because yeah. you're their antagonist. You are you're literally every antagonist. You're yeah. the world. You're the the characters. You're everything that's stopping them from doing what they want. The exactly, Adam. Adam has even said that his anger towards what happened to his little ones in our campaign was wound up being directed towards me. <laughs> you think? <laughs> right. He's like, I, he came in and was like, I'm sorry that my anger was misplaced against <laughs> you. I just don't want you to hurt my little ones. <laughs> like you're invested in non-fictional or, or fictional characters. Not, no, they're non-fictional. In the moment, they're non-fictional. In the moment, right. they're non-fictional. But that's totally besides real. the point. Yeah. So I think uh, it sounds like we're all on the same page with a role should mean something. If it's meaningless, then there shouldn't be a role. Because the purpose of the dice is to control that whole random element. And if they're doomed to failure, then why taunt them? Just let them fail. That's already mean enough. (laughs) I mean, it's the same thing on the opposite end if there's no chance of them failing. True. I I might actually have a counterpoint to that. All right, let's hear it. And this is something that we do because I think it's it's mainly because of, I guess, like what we call ourselves and kind of what's expected when you listen to our show, right? Uh But like- if even if it's like the most minuscule chance of failure, we'll still make them roll just to fish for a one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give us an example. What's a minuscule chance of failure? Like, okay. what level of task are we talking about? So I'll give you something that I putting I've, on your pants. Something I've noticed Dave do, our other DM, right? Something I've noticed him do is as we're just like you know getting wrapped up in conjecture, right? Just like talking, making plans, or whatever. When maybe we're in a time sensitive situation. He'll give, he'll just, I, I'll just hear him start rolling dice, like behind the screen. Like he's not saying anything. He's just kind of looking at us rolling dice, right? And he's essentially just fishing for like a one on his side to see, okay, someone's going to show up as soon as one of these hits a one. You know, it means you almost use it as like a, a timer, a random okay. timer. Interesting. Right. Because like, you know, it's also a good way to get people to, once they start hearing those dice rolling, like, okay, <laughs> we need to make a decision and start and, st- and stop just like talking about what ifs and just like settle on something. Just uh, do it. <laughs> right. Or like, you know, if like someone's like trying to tie a knot, right, to maybe tie up like a, a bad guy and, you know, like it may, it's someone, someone may be really, really good at it or like, you know, it's maybe just some things that, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a better example, actually, because tying knots actually is something that would require a skill check. Yeah. No, I could say um, there's sometimes where I haven't required a skill check, but like for thieves tools, that's one that comes up a lot because once you get high enough level characters, they're so good at lockpicks especially if they're a rogue they have double I mean, proficiency true. that if they have a plus 15 and it's you know a lock that has a dc 15 do they roll or not because even on a one they still have a 16 
Yep, I wonder why you would bring that up particularly. That's just a random example. It's not at all specific from my experience. Uh-huh. Not at all specific. Not your Ranger Rogue Fighter Cleric? Okay, I have some bitterness about that because I made the mistake of taking my double proficiency at these tools and I thought, this is going to come in handy. I'm going to be an amazing adventurer. And then I encountered like three locks in the entire campaign. Um, I will say you had no choice because when you multi-class into Rogue, you yeah. have to do that. But I thought it would be a bit handier. And then Tony's like, yeah, they're really, some of these you 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 um you really can't uh fail and <laughs> it takes away the magic there was only one that was kind of difficult and it was a dc 25 so you had a 50 50 shot yeah yeah <laughs> so i think that's the challenge when they're lower level i think it's easier to to have um have them roll for things because it's much more up in the air whether they'll, they will succeed or fail correct uh, yeah, I mean, but even like when they're, you know, and I guess like in that context, right, like back to like what I was, you know, my sort of counterpoint was that, you know, like in your in your situation where like, yeah, sure, like you have your thieves tools, right? And at the minimum, no matter what, your result's going to be a 16, even if you roll a one. Mm-hmm. That's, I guess, where like I interpret the rules where it says like you can choose to make such an exceptional role like or take that into account when adjudicating the outcome, right? True. Like in the, in the rules. Yeah, it does so say it's that. Like we... I guess we can call it house rule, right? Yeah. That any nat one is a spectacular failure. I mean, <laughs> it's not game breaking or completely demoralizing or anything like that, but we like to try to have fun with it. You know what I mean? If it's in a situation where it's just kind of causing things to slog along, then it's not going to be anything too bad. Like I really don't want to, you know, create obstacles for the sake of obstacles. But I just think... You know, you, you kind of, it, 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 it just keeps everybody on their toes because also the reaction at the table, right, as soon as they see a one show up on the die, it's like, it's just, it's either silence or complete shock and amazement. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, Rachel has some really great Nat One stories, um, and I think we've told them before on the podcast, but I think it bears repeating um, why they're... The PCs don't allow any javelins in the game that I'm running. <clears throat> uh, if they find out NPCs have that's, them, that's they thing. point to the posted signs that say yeah. no javelins. Yeah, um, nobody's allowed to have javelins. No PCs one's are allowed NPCs. to have them. <laughs> Wow. They are banned. And, and why is that, Rachel? Because I nat one in my our first little dungeon crawl twice uh-huh. and hit party members <laughs> and knocked Both them times with javelins. Twice with javelins. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> It was glorious. Okay, let's be honest. It was yeah, a great story. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's oh. a good story. She and knocked out the tank with a javelin. That's yeah. incredible. And, and the rogue. <laughs> we we may or may not. In some of our like, we recorded a few sessions that never made it to air or anything like that. They're just kind of up like uh, on a Google Drive somewhere. But like, Bonus we had a situation episodes. like that too, where I was actually a player, and I may may or may not have accidentally fire bolted our tank <laughs> to the ground. May or may not. Uh-huh. Uh, it was an accident. Of you know, course. It was a nat, it was a nat one. Uh-huh. Um, but it was it came at literally the worst possible time. Actually, in that ep- so we had like this this session we we put it up on our Patreon, right, for anybody who like had donated to us. And I, I think that the part of the reason I put it behind like put it away where some people not the entire public is gonna hear is because I rolled eleven nat ones in that episode. <laughs> eleven <laughs> over a two and a half hour session. Eleven. Yeah, I've been there. How many was it, Tony? 11. It was 11 also. Yeah. I've and there. once with advantage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we actually, there's like a big, isn't, isn't, have you seen like the D&D bingo sheet, right? It's like one of them is like <laughs> double nat ones on advantage. Yep. The other one is, uh, yep. you know, double 20s on disadvantage. Yep. And things of yep. that nature. Yeah. <laughs> Check both of those off. We've, yep. we've almost checked them all off. <laughs> we haven't yeah. had the two, we haven't had two nat 20s on disadvantage yet. To be fair, yeah. I, I, I think I've had the most, that was my one horrendous session, the also 11 nat ones, but I think I've also had more than once nat 20s with disadvantage, so it all balances out. It's all random, right? but uh, it's very demoralizing to roll two nat ones with advantage. It's one of the worst feelings, I'd have to say, as a player, where you're just like, I've done everything I could to make this turn out, oh, I've been Better betrayed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I don't even know what you were doing for that, but I just remember we're like I just gave you one of my die and just like here, just just You're like, for the please future. stop. You're please like, stop. Roll, roll this. <laughs> it's, right. it's not happening tonight. 
<laughs> the DM feels bad now. <laughs> but I uh, just you were saying you think you, you partly wanted that to be a bonus episode because you wanted to hide your shame. Or... Yes, that's kind of what. <laughs> that's really what I was like circling around, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know how it goes. I felt that way too. Even though you're like, I'm, and you turn to the party and you're like, I'm really sorry, guys. It, it's it's just chance. It's just random right, it's not probabilities. Me. I I don't know what happened. You feel like you have to like justify it, like right because they're. Characters are mad at your character at that point right. because you just keep messing up. And right. Especially if you have like injured them in some way due to your messing up or caused harm to befall them by not doing something successfully. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like a weird sense of guilt. It's painful. <laughs> it's painful. <laughs> really. You don't want to let uh, your friends down, you know? Right, right. Especially if you're like, I'm normally so capable. I just, I don't know what right. happened. Right. Like, like, this this never happens for wrong. me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you start to like say really ridiculous things. And then I'm not a superstitious person. I don't really believe in like having a lucky set of <laughs> dice or an unlucky set of dice. I use the same dice all the time, whether I'm DMing or playing. Sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not, because that's how chance goes. Really? I think I'm a weird person. I feel like it's rational, but I think I'm the only one who's 100% that way as a player in our group. Everyone else has some sort of ritual or process for dice rejection or dice shaming or oh yeah dice prison yeah yep. <laughs> i feel dice like after prison. they betray you enough times like you you feel like you need to do something to just i don't know try to turn the tide you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> you're so like, something you're, you're like sorry they are cursed now i need to um i put them back I get- in the bag yeah <laughs> i I, uh, I stubbornly keep using them um relentlessly i keep using them yeah. I have only ever stopped using a die once, and that was as a DM where out of 30 rolls, 25 of them were less than a five. <laughs> yeah, that one that one goes back in the back. Yeah, the, that you, one, I right. just, I'm like, you know what? I, th- it, it's enough. I don't actually believe in this, but I'm stopping rolling this die. Yeah. So you, so for just good, you'd be of the camp of if a die has underperformed, it has to be put aside. Yeah, it goes back in the bag. <laughs> then you bring in like the second string die who's been sitting there waiting for its chance yep yeah i, I mean like I'll, I'll sometimes i'll rotate between two like, in front of me i like, mm-hmm. usually have you know especially because you know you, you want you, you need another one available for like advantage and disadvantage and stuff so i'll switch between those two but you know if one is consistently rolling poorly it goes back in the bag and then i pull <laughs> another one out Maybe I should start doing that. <laughs> no, don't listen. That's crazy talk. It's not like it means anything. Like, I, know, I, I know that there's, pro- you know, the probability is pretty much the same on all of them. I mean, I have a friend, uh, and I guarantee he's going to listen to this episode because uh, uh. he's, a, he's a big fan of our show and he's a good friend of ours in real life, uh, Phil. And he, like, he's he like goes through and does the water test, right, to like make sure that they're balanced, that they're oh, weighted properly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like he yeah. wants it to be tr- truly random. He doesn't want there to be any any shenanigans. Yeah, I'll say there's one of my, my I have a die that I, I strongly suspect is a little bit off, and it tends to roll a little bit high, but I, when I roll it in Tony's game when he's DMing, he has said it's okay that maybe I'm just, I haven't actually tested it because it's a metal die, but because <laughs> I'll just sink. <laughs> I don't know how to test it besides just continuing to roll it, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, and it's not actually slightly off in its weight, but uh, it's oh, a good die. The metal ones are fun, though, They because you, 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 I mean, and the this is- worker. Yeah, I mean, they maybe yeah. break tables, but they just feel good to roll. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like it, yeah. That, oh, they that, do. that good, like, thunk sound is it yeah. lands authoritatively, and you're like, man, I know you don't like the roll, but I got to respect it. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it rolls with authority. Based on what we're talking about, it really seems like a lot of our feelings about critical successes and failures are tied to our feelings about dice. <laughs> I, yes, completely. Yes, absolutely. Without them, our, you know. Well, I mean, I guess we wouldn't have this game, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, it's, if you, you have to point the blame at something pointed at what's showing you a terrible result, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because otherwise you're like, well, I guess I haven't done my job as a player, which is to be perfect, obviously, and right. always roll well. But at the same time, you wouldn't want to always roll well because then It'd there be would boring. be no- it yeah. get boring. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one of the interesting things about critical successes and failures in general is that you really do need both, even though they can be heart-wrenching when it's a failure or just like this overwhelming sense of like, 
I don't know, Rocky-like excitement as people want to run around with their hands up in the air when they roll a critical success on that crucial, like, clutch <laughs> save or attack. <laughs> oh, yeah. My brother and James, or one of my other players, do the same thing. Like, they'll literally get up from the table and just start, like, walking around with their arms in the air. Like, <laughs> I, I am pretty sure that a player has yelled at me, take that upon rolling a natural 20 at me. Like, I Is somehow... Uh, Are you no. talking about Adam? Yeah, it was Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I think you've, that? you've insinuated something similar. I probably similar. thought it. Yes. <laughs> but no, I think Adam was like, ha, take that. And I was like, you know, I'm not actually like cursing your dice and causing them to roll poorly and disappointed when you roll well. I'm not disappointed. I want <laughs> you guys to succeed and have those awesome moments. It's right. part of the game. Um just not all the time. You can't always have that. It has to have both. Um, but yeah, I think that's fun. I I, I was curious, Francesco, how you do um, critical hits like on uh, attacks because yeah, the way they do it in the book a little is, bit too. Yeah, because it's pretty straightforward in yeah. the book, and as you get to be higher and higher levels, it can be a little bit overwhelming for or underwhelming. Sorry for some classes that oh, it's completely. just double that, dice. Exactly. That's why I. Um... We we do it a little bit differently. We we still like to leave at least an element of the die like rolls in there. It's something that I, I I've seen Chris Perkins do before in some of the games that he runs, where when you hit it, when you you know land a crit, essentially you do max die damage for like you know because you said instead of rolling like the two d like say it's a say it's a longsword right one d eight instead of rolling two d eight you just do eight plus another one d eight. So you roll one of the damage dice, but the other one's always a max because that just feels like there's more weight behind it. So this still gives a range to your critical damage, but it's always high at least. You always get at least max damage on like your like normal weapon damage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that gives maybe a bit more reward. Sometimes, I mean, I love rolling when it's something like a big spell, like a fireball. Like it's nice to see a whole bunch of dice roll. But there are other times where I know I've crit with like uh, like a short sword and rolled minimum damage on my my two little d6s and i go yeah well that was fun (laughs) (laughs) thanks for playing (laughs) yeah and then you have rogues who have sneak attack and they're getting to roll like you know let me get out all of my d6s chug 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 start pouring dice into their hand (laughs) right um but overall i think i've kept it rules as written for my game partly just for speed and simplicity and also because i have new players in my game and i'm mm-hmm. i'm a rule follower so i try to teach them the rules correctly right th- no sure of course but uh that's also because i think accidentally i start to fall in this role where i'm like a dm slash parent um <laughs> 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 a little bit <laughs> no rachel can speak to this <laughs> chaos, chaos. <laughs> and i'm like no no chaos we're gonna make responsible life choices right right players Only one bag of chips guys it never works out but i try she tries. Yeah, see, like I like wild and like wacky like rules and interpretations of of, of them. Um, I mean, if, if, but if anything, like I do mostly go by rules as written. This is probably the most complex, you know, modification we've ever done to like the way we like interpret a rule. You know what I mean? Like, because it, it does. It, it, trying to explain it, like listening to myself explain it, it's like okay, so this sounds a little complex, but it's really not that bad. So I guess that would be the question. So what what would be an example of what happens for you on a, on a critical failure? Say someone swinging a long sword at enemy, they roll that nat one. What happens besides okay. them failing to hit? Um, they might, you know, either knock themselves prone or, you know, just like have some sort of like minor like uh, sort of condition or, 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 or disadvantage during the combat, right? Like oh, maybe your next attack's a disadvantage like because you sort of caught yourself off guard and now you're off balance or something like that. Or, you know, you you actually went, as soon as you went to swing the sword behind you, you didn't have a good grip on it, and now it's actually on the ground behind you. Oh, no. Right. Um, things like that to kind of like kind of swing the, swing the battle back and forth. Yeah. So how do you decide which effect it's going to be? Do you have a table or? Uh, no, it's kind of just whatever strikes us in the moment. Okay. Okay. It's whatever, okay. whatever feels right. <laughs> right. Right. Sometimes I uh, like... Uh, in some of my casual games i'll try to involve anyone who's not playing but like might be around like sometimes like my wife will get home like you know she's like she was out i'll just turn to her and be like hey he missed with he got a, a nat one when he was trying to shoot with his bow what happened she's like uh the arrow brushes him in the cheek perfect all right that happens now You're like, like okay, nice, just crowdsource nice. it even the dming of the future <laughs> right uh but yeah, it's so I, I mean it, it's never it's never anything that's gonna like completely 
you know, screw the party over, but it's it should it should you should feel like that it's in the same way that a, a critical hit is a little bit more has more a little more oomph you know in our world we want our critical failures to feel the same way yeah i uh i'm, I'm pretty straightforward in how i do critical failures for attacks which is usually just a, a chance to miss and given the way my party plays they're almost always surrounded by their fellow party members oh yeah yep hitting someone else is pretty common yeah <laughs> yeah so usually at that point it's in their hands and, and you know it's like okay you're each getting a number, and we're rolling a D4. One of those is it completely misses, and it hits no one, so there's always that moment of tension as they find out who's taking the damage. Who's yeah. going to start pointing fingers at other people's faces. Yeah, um, Dave does yeah. that, too, actually. He'll roll, like, a, you know, like a, like a D6 or something like that, or just to figure out who would hit, you know, hit it at a table instead. It's, pretty, yeah. it's a pretty good idea. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't make sense depending on how the layout is where somebody fires, you know, an arrow off at someone in the distance and completely misses and there's no one else in front of them. Sometimes that's just a failure. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. embarrassing at that point. Right. You just you just feel like you, like you should look dejected. You know, it's pretty right. much right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like shame on you. You know you could do better, but you right. didn't. <laughs> but you didn't. You failed. So we talked about critical successes and like fumble tables. I know, Rachel, at one point you were looking at one like critical success at fumble table yeah. and we were all were like no i know like we started panicking um i don't want to break the bow that i took I like know. three weeks to make in a single roll <laughs> well the other thing too is i've heard of one uh a game that somebody's playing in and like here here's an example of one that's like how do you make sure it's balanced and everything so you have a a half work fighter right half work fighter uh yeah the ones that have the um Instead of dropping to zero hit points, they drop to one the first time they would die. So, half-orc fighter, the um, opposing creature uh, was a wolf of sorts, I think it was, that bit the the half-orc, and they crit. They got a crit success. So, they had a fun bowl table, or a crit success table, that they rolled on. And they got, on that success table, they got immediate decapitation. Oh. So, that character immediately died oh, void wow. all things that are like how is it possible that a wolf bit yeah. a head off <laughs> how is it possible that that overrides the orc or the half orc you know ability to drop to one hit point you know right. like it basically overrode everything i'm like wow that sounds really unbalanced oh yeah so, yep. and a bit cruel perhaps yeah. <laughs> i mean i mean unless like that's the expectation walking into like that whatever like if it's a game or a one shot or whatever it is right like if that's like what's expected okay fine but like you know if it's one of those things where it's like oh like i wasn't planning on like you know having a character die during this like in fact like this was more just like a a filler to kind of weaken you before the <laughs> yeah. actual bad yeah. guy right i was yeah. like and i thought we were all gonna be friends right guys like right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like how would you how would you make that so that it's fair without being murdery well i don't mind it being murdery right <laughs> so like maybe just instead of it decapitating and insta dead you're knocked to zero hit points with like one failed save instead you know like i don't know i didn't agree with that ruling <laughs> i know several yeah. other people who didn't agree with said ruling <laughs> yeah yeah i probably would have ruled that rather than insta kill him it nearly killed him but he still got the half orc the first right. time you drop to zero you drop to one instead yeah right. yeah because there were so many things like against it that's just like it would make sense if that was a halfling and they were fighting, I don't know, an ogre that whacked their head off like a golf Oh, ball. gosh. You know, that's horrifying. That yeah, makes horrifying. sense. <laughs> oh, really bad mental picture, Rachel. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think kind of maybe part of it is what are we trying as DMs to achieve with critical success and failures? Is it just to make characters or players feel like they're like, really heroic and they're going down and almost dying and it's a struggle or is it to like punish them yeah you know? <laughs> and i think that's maybe where the line it feels like that, where that feels like punishment, like punishment rather <laughs> right. than just like a consequence yeah. right or like just like you know sort of adding to the comedy of errors like yeah it's it, when it becomes a point where like i mean if you're just be, trying to be vindictive then it's not it's not gonna be fun for anybody well then here's the other question to that is if you're using the fumble tables and the crit success tables, are you using them across the board? So NPCs, they apply to as well? 
I mean, yeah, that's see, that's where it gets dangerous, like, you know, introducing like additional mechanics like that, right? Because like you're kind of like taking some rules as written and conflicting them with others that may not mm-hmm. necessarily overlap one to one, kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. like that wolf, you're essentially decapitating a half orc, you know, because you <laughs> yep. have, he ha- they have an ability, right, that can prevent them from dropping to zero. So you kind of have to interpret, you know, the, well, to be decapitated, you're obviously dropping to zero hit points, right? And like doing that whole, you can explain your way pretty much <laughs> through this, anything then that, then, right yeah. exactly and then <laughs> and it just trades comes first right and at that point it just slows the game down <laughs> because you're all yeah. arguing about how to, how to do it so it sounds like what you're saying is that you feel like the whole purpose is not just to have fun and excitement with the roles but to serve like the narrative and, and the story right yes. right whether it's to further the continuing narrative or to add a new wrinkle you know what i mean like mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's the that's how it should work. Like it should never be just to straight punish the party. Yeah, because I and I think maybe that's partly ties into different people's DM philosophy. Like I know as a DM, I never feel like it's my job to thwart the you know the the players. I know sometimes they might feel like it, but it's <laughs> to make the to present them with challenges for them to overcome. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I'm not there to be like, ha ha, you shall fail because I have predetermined it because. I mean, what's the point of that in a story? It right. should be, you know, part of it's up to the dice, part of it's up to, you know, their ability to work together and, and you know, follow their, oh, I was going to say follow their dreams. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded bad as it was formulating in my head. <laughs> but, but, follow you know, their just, destiny. To stay true to their, like, commitments as, as a character and what they're sure. trying to achieve. Yep, that sounds better. Mm-hmm. Okay. Didn't want to sound like a like a, Dis- good save, like a good Disney save. movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> Follow your heart, that sort of thing. Yeah, believe uh, in the magic. So, so I guess Francesca, my question would be like, what would be an example of like a nat one that you've had in the game where you felt like it, it added an interesting layer or dimension to what the players okay, were doing? So, so yeah, this is like my my favorite moment so far. I think I think it was, and if I recall correctly, I think it's episode seventeen, which we've aptly named "Roll One for Victory." Nice. Uh, and the reason I like this moment is because it's kind of like, a, you know, I was helping make up for maybe a, a situation where maybe I was adding too many die rolls just to like kind of fish for that failure like I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So like I tried to maybe just give them a shot anyways because like I felt bad where they were essentially escaping from, you know, a place, right? And there's they, they, were, they had impersonated some guards because there was a whole political intrigue, crazy situation going on. And they were trying to talk their way out of an encounter with two guards who didn't recognize them because they were still in uniform. And I kind of made our bard maybe make too many persuasion checks throughout the conversation. Like it was kind of throughout our role playing, I was having him re-roll his persuasion and I was re-rolling the insight, right? To kind of see if he can hold up the conversation. And the final role I made him do was a nat one. And like everyone just like lost their minds, right? Because they're like, oh my God, like that's it. The jig is up. Like it's over. It's over for us. So I was like, so I told him, I was like, okay, you know what? I'll give you guys a shot. I'm going to roll an insight for this guy still. And I'm going to roll it in front of all of you. It's so if it's a one, Ooh. he fails too. And that means like you've, you've done it somehow. And so I rolled it in front of everybody. And the reaction, like I'm so glad that I captured this on like microphones. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean, you, people were falling out of their chairs because I, <laughs> I rolled a one. Like the chance, you know, like, the yeah! chances of it, right? The chances of that happening are, uh, you know, way oh more gosh. than five percent because, yeah, you know, just to have two in a row like that. Oh my god, it was one of my favorite <laughs> moments. Okay, I, I, I would never, I would, would not change a thing about it now. Like, not at all. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, that's a that's a good moment when it when you feel like it all just works perfectly but it's just it's the, how the dice you know fell it wasn't anything that you controlled as dm to, to make that happen exactly you leave it completely up to the dice yeah <laughs> it makes it exciting we talked about nat ones like in combat but like nat ones on checks like insight checks um i tend to be you know they're definitely not going to succeed but do you ever do like misinformation with a natural one yes uh in a way where it's obvious and it's more for yeah. like the comedic right. value of it. I mean, unless mm-hmm. it would serve the story to like actually like do my best to keep a straight face and give him some wrong information. But I mean, they knew they roll a one, so the yeah, chances of them getting something matter. accurate, right, exactly, are not going to be anything great. 
But uh, I, we did that once where like it's one of our players. He's you know, my James. He plays the dwarf in our campaign, and uh, he's a bit of a, a rough individual. Uh, not, not as a person, as a character. Oh, <laughs> as a dwarf, he's a rough individual. Uh, he doesn't like to read things. He especially hates it when people hand him things that are, you know, made of paper. Uh, so <laughs> I remember at one point, like when we had switched story arcs, and Dave was, or I was switching back into DMing my character. You know, kind of like a because a clever way to exit him from the story. Like left them a note in the morning, you know, after he had departed. You know, so that they when they woke up, he was already gone. And there was like some plot related things in the letter and, you know, just something to kind of jumpstart the next story arc. And Hoblet, our dwarf, takes it and just burns it. He's like, I never liked that Weasley little fella anyways. (laughs) Right. So like I made him feel really bad about it that entire episode because I was like, you know, there was all this really cool stuff in there now and you ruined it for everybody. Yeah. But You're he was welcome. the first one awake. It was also my fault for for allowing him to be the first one awake. So I guess, you know, it's really a two-way street here. He was just being true to himself. Right. <laughs> what he believes. In fact, I gave him inspiration for it because it's something this character would have done. <laughs> and it was to the detriment of everyone else around him. So, Yeah, I think the hardest part is natural ones on, like, perception checks. Oh, for sure. Oh, gosh. Because, of course, it's it's hard to resist the metagame because as a player, if you get a natural on perception check, you know if they tell you something, it's garbage. It's wrong. Right. It's yeah. wrong. It's not just not helpful. It's literally going to be counterproductive, but you need to be committed to it because- That's what your character knows. Right. Your character doesn't yep. know you rolled it at one. They don't look at the dice. Yeah, that is such that is such a hard boundary to maintain because, you know- you can't sep- you can't in- completely and entirely separate yourself from your character, you know, and the right. things that you hear. So <laughs> it's it's something that I, I don't think I've ever I, I've never really developed like the best way to handle that. I just really kind of trust my players to yeah. not metagame too hard. <laughs> no, I think that I think that is yeah. the best way. I mean, it depends on like how mature your group is. Yeah, not, like I was gonna uh, say, I play with kids, yeah. So when they <laughs> roll a nat one. I usually make up an excuse and say something like, your character's currently staring at their feet and coming to themselves, so they don't hear any of the conversation or see what's going on. And they're like, okay, that's fair. But they're 10, so. Right, but if you said you hear something and it's like, oh, you hear footsteps behind you, they would then obsess over it forever, Exactly. Right? Yeah, oh gosh, yes. <laughs> Who's behind me? They're a witch. They're a witch. <laughs> so... I guess what we kind of been talking around is like, you know, different ways of handling critical successes and failures and trying to balance it. And I think the hard part is you really don't know how balanced something is until you look at it in that's retrospect. That's very true. And that's, that's the struggle as DMs is we're so good at seeing everything. That's the human sight. struggle right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Uh, oh, past me. If I can right, tell you exactly. the things I've learned. You know, it's just it's, it's how it goes. So I don't have an actual segue for this, but I know, Tony, you want to talk about death saving throws. Oh, yeah. You bring it up because in the recent uh, one shot I did, back to back, we had two players making their death saves, and both of them rolled a natural Wow. Yep. So here they are getting slaughtered, uh, half the party's down, and two of them just all of a sudden wake up with one HP. So I think death saving throws are in a way are like the ultimate like yes. excitement for rolling yes. a one or a 20. Um, and we've talked somewhat about this in like our, our episode on death, but we haven't really talked about like, I think how much you start to have emotional feelings about your Every dice. Roll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you are in the hands of fate. And you only like, need a 10. Right, all the stuff you've built, all the things on your character sheet, and you're just like looking at this die like, it's all up to you, buddy. <laughs> Unless my party members actually come and heal me like they're supposed to. But I don't know if they will. Right, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, when you're when you're sort of in your in your death throes, right, like it's just, uh, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you know, you, you're, you're relying on literally nothing but a, just a regular standard die roll. You're not adding anything to it. You know, it's just... On a ten or better, great. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, very bad. Yeah, very bad things. Yep. This was terrifying. Also, with um, when Uthal, my my Goliath fighter, actually fell from the sky at zero <laughs> HP, and since we didn't yeah. have the the Xanathar's guide mechanics for falling, you kind of uh, home rolled it a little bit and said basically in two rounds I hit the ground, but I still rolled because I had a round in the air and I rolled 
like a five. I was like, oh gosh, no, I'm dead. Yep. I'm going to hit the ground and be dead. Splat. Without splatting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he eventually was, was I was yielded. revivified and only kept together because of magical armor. Yep. So, Francesco, if it makes... See, I, I know I, I said I screwed up by giving that character a Vorpal sword, but you could see why I thought he'd be dead right, by now. Right, of course. <laughs> <I> completely understand. <laughs> well, to be fair, I've been dead twice. Yeah, yeah. Healing magic is wonderful. But even then, like, I think the death saving throws become so much more crucial when you have something tragic happen and you have multiple players making them at the same oh, yes. time. Like, that's where you get panicky and you start to, like, question your dice. I know our our friend Adam, who plays in our game, like, He's he starts, so like, checking out the dice and being like, who's the right one? I don't know who right. to trust. Like, There's a superstition, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. Yes, right. yeah. It kicks in, like, into overdrive when it comes to death saves. He's already paranoid. He is already paranoid. Yeah, that's true. But especially oh, yeah. for, for death saves. There was a while he kept saying I was trying to murder his character, but it wasn't that. It's just he rolled really terribly and kept rolling that once. And I'm like, I don't, as a DM, have any influence over your dice. It's literally the only thing I have no control over whatsoever. <laughs> it's up to your dice to roll. Yep. It's not me. If you roll that once on your death saves, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but anyways, I think it's it's interesting to have that be just totally dice driven. Oh yeah, and and, and I th- I like and I like the way that it's written out because like, you know you think about it, right? It's like 10, 10 or higher succeeds, which technically that technically means right you have a at least a slightly better yep. chance to succeed than you do to fail. However. Right. Five percent better chance. Right. However, <laughs> if you roll a nat one, it's two failures. Yep. Yeah. So like there's there's that there's 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 a true element of danger there, especially if you're coming up on your second death saving throw roll and you've gotten a failure already. Because yep. you really right. because there's a five exactly. percent chance that this roll right here actually kills your character. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what I think overall we like about death saving throws is that as a DM, there's nothing you have to do to make them more interesting or more exciting than they right. already you're, you're, are. The, yeah, the character's like, down. Like everyone, everyone's kind of sitting at the edge of their seats because they don't want to lose like, you know, this character they've invested all this time into. And, you know, every especially when you've had a long running campaign, the longer is running, the more people are attached to their characters. Yeah. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. Yes. And NPCs. <laughs> that too. And NPCs. They're attached to everything the more time you right. spend in the game. Uh but I think because we've kind of been discussing, like, we try to add some, some of our own flavor to, sure, like, yeah. successes and failures. But when it comes to death saves, I think just leave yep. them as they are. Leave it alone. Yep. There's not really much you could change there. You know, it's pretty cut and dry. It's already terrifying enough yeah, as exactly. It is. Let's not add anything yeah. else to it. It's summary. I like death saves when I'm not making them. They're very exciting to watch. Yes. I don't like being no, part of one. Yeah, <laughs> no. I do, uh, going back to when we did the episode on player, uh, character deaths. Rob said something about what's really nice is that it doesn't scale with level either. Like, a level 20 making death saving throws is just as likely to die as a level yeah. 1 making death saving throws. So, like, I thought that was a really good point. Yeah. Rob Rob from Lore Masters. Yes. Well, the whole point of the leveling is how difficult is it to bring you to that point? Once you're at that point. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. it. <laughs> Once you're there, <laughs> things are really bad. You could be wearing all of the coolest equipment in the world. But you're still just dying. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so sad. You're just quietly, and you will always die alone. You like look fabulous it's because the party's not there to dead. take care of you. Yeah. Because <laughs> if they are, they could do a medicine check and you know save you and stabilize you. But if they're not stabilizing you, it's because they don't care about you enough, or they are also dying, or yep, trying not much. to, the, or they're the, not paying or attention, not or not or paying attention. attention. But I think kind of that brings it back to like what you what you brought up, Rachel. Um. I think one of the reasons we like critical successes and failures is they're kind of the same throughout the game. Granted, you have more control over, you know, with your abilities, getting advantage of that sort of thing. But in another sense, the dice are always going to betray you and work for you on average the same amount throughout the, the length oh, of the yeah. campaign. You hope. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> on average. I, I don't know. I think my odds are below average at this point. <laughs> no, no, that's on initiative. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's on everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a question, actually. Francesco, would you have any sort of, uh, I don't want to say punishment, but any sort of detriment for rolling a nat one on initiative, or is it just your punishment is you have a nat yeah, one Yeah, I feel like I... That one, that's there's there's no reason to like it's just determining turn order like that's one of the few places I don't inject like any sort of strange or because even if you roll a nat twenty no it's just twenty plus or minus your initiative modifier so like if your initiative if your initiative modifier is a minus one and you roll a nat twenty sorry it's still a nineteen like <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say asking for a right. friend <laughs> shut up Rachel <laughs> 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 who has. Against all odds, managed to roll consistently at the bottom, terribly on initiative. I don't know yes. how every time. Yeah, except for that one time when she rolled really and well, and then everybody rolled better. That's that's <laughs> actually that's funny. We have uh, James, our resident dwarf cleric, is the same way. Like even like he he's he always rolls terribly, especially on initiative. Well, really, it's really mm-hmm. that's like what he complains the most about, right? And he's got a minus one too, and. Mm-hmm. There was an episode recently where we recorded it, and like he actually had a really good role, and everybody was still ahead of him. Yep. Everybody. Yep. <laughs> I know the feeling. I'm like, yeah, I got a 17, and everybody else was like, um, He was upset. He was very upset. I got a 17 on the die. Yeah. I'm like, bite me. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then, Rachel, you always point out, well, I'm the healer, so it makes sense for me to go. Trundle in last to heal your butts. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> when like you're probably all okay. okay. After okay. the meteor strike has come and nearly killed you all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, so, yeah, so it sounds like we have a few exceptions, but overall, I think it's really combat where it's the most fun to, yeah. to play around with the critical successes and mm-hmm. failures. Um, maybe somewhat with skill checks. We haven't talked as much about just saving throws in general because we've always treated, I think, a natural 20 as a success on a saving throw. Like, like yeah, you like you did it. We always right. allowed yeah, that chance. Like, I yeah. feel like, yeah. yeah, and then that one, you know, maybe a little extra happens or, or it's just bad enough that, you know, if it's something awful, I would probably leave it alone. But if it's like, you know, if we're just, especially if it's like a constitution save from something like, you know, whatever, like they're drinking or something like that, right? Like something questionable. Uh, that's yeah. what if they that what we add a little extra to it because it's really just you know it's like for like the like role playing purposes. I would yeah. never Flavor I text. would never fail a saving throw so hard that like I risk like completely you know killing a, a party member for any reason. I think you know unless unless I guess like the, the context would dictate. So I guess it's very contextual is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it may be kind of something we're getting at is, or at least I, I think we are, is that um, I don't think any one role should make or break an entire like, Absolutely experience, not. Right. whether that's an encounter or something. Like, granted, it can feel like it, like, oh my gosh, that one thing ruined it all where I rolled in at one, but it really shouldn't be one moment, I think, that the die changes everything irreparably for right. better or for worse. Like, it should be the result of what's been built up throughout the story and everything. It shouldn't just come out of nowhere. I completely, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> yes, 100% agree. Yeah. Anyways, uh, overall, I, I think it's hard to make any, like, sweeping rules about natural ones and natural 20s, which is why they kept it so vague in the rules, because as you mentioned, Francesco, it really needs to be contextual. Right, and I think it, I think one another one more important thing would also be, it's not only contextual, but, like, I think that everybody at the table should be well aware right going into a campaign or one shot or whatever it is like this is kind of how we're going to be ruling these things so like be prepared to either do things awesome or spectacularly bad (laughs) yeah yeah to kind of level set the expectations right as long as there's a consensus then we're good right yeah because then you all collectively blame the dice right no matter what you're doing (laughs) it's fabulous (laughs) really takes the pressure off the dm for being the jerk in that situation Overall, um, that's kind of that was all the thoughts I had. I didn't know what else anyone else wanted to say. No, I think we wrapped that up enough. That basically, uh, ev- we all feel, as far as I can tell, that um, it tends to be contextual as long as like everyone is has the same expectations going in that it's going to be spectacular in one way or the other. That natural ones and natural twenties can have that extra extra little bit in them. right. Actually, yeah. a little something, something. Well, actually, a little mm-hmm. something. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Rachel. That's staying in. You're that right. is staying in. <laughs> Good. So uh, how did you get into, like, tabletop role-playing games? Uh, I started 
like around eighth grade or so. I mean, I was like playing with action figures like all my whole life. But then like I started getting into like miniature games when I was in high school, like Warhammer and things like that. But I couldn't really paint very well. So I, and it was also really expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a friend introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it was, I think, three point edition 3.5 at that point. And we tried to start playing a game, you know, it never really took off. But like, I always kind of loved role playing games and things like that. And you know, after some time, I decided, you know, once fifth edition came out, I was like, you know, okay, I've played 3.5 and this and that, but like brand new editions coming out. Like I want to, I want to start something, right? Started a campaign. And then, you know, after that fizzled out, I stole a couple of the players from that table and now they <laughs> joined me on, uh, you know, like doing silly stuff on like internet radio every week. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We don't we don't think of it as stealing. We think of it as recruiting. We're recruiting. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was, <laughs> I, was, I was running that game too, you know, so it's like I, I sold them from myself, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you kind of had like a misconnection with D&D and then and rejoined later <laughs> when the timing was right. Yeah, because I mean, I've always been playing role-playing games of like all different kinds, but you know, I really wanted to get back into D anD D because like I just loved the kind of stories you can create and how it's. I mean, there's really no limit to the kinds of stories that you can make with your friends because then you I mean it's stuff that you you know talk about like years later. You know, hey, remember that time? You know, where Hobbit did this thing? You know, it's just oh, it's my favorite. Yeah, even when it doesn't go well, like when you're saying you started in 3.5, that's where uh, Tony and I started too, because Rachel, (laughs) our friend, invited us to play. And we have stories from that campaign, even though we were terrible players, we didn't know what we were doing, we made bad choices, but we We have- Terrible party. Terrible party. I was a terrible <laughs> DM. Okay, but, I didn't know what I was doing. Not, uh, <laughs> it's just all terrible all but we, around. It's still fun to like look back on that time. And be like, oh, you remember that time when I got totally murdered by like a blacksmith? That was hilarious. <laughs> Bad choices. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of the summary of that campaign for us. Wow, <laughs> mistakes were made. No, but still, I mean, it, I think. Often, it, it, even if their experiences aren't necessarily positive, where you're like, everything went perfectly and according to plan, I think there's a lot of joy to be found in the failures. Oh, yeah. And, and that's kind of my favorite part of it, actually, because the failures themselves just create a whole different story. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 because, like, especially as like a DM, like, you never want the players to, like, not succeed. You just kind of have to. Make him realize that there's consequences to certain actions. Right. They get to yeah. succeed at something. It might not be the thing they thought they were succeeding at, and it might right. not be in the way they thought they were, but they're still moving forward in some kind of way. <laughs> right. Even if it means that now they have to get themselves out of yet another situation. Yeah. So based on what you were saying, you know, you kind of like got back into fifth edition. How did you go from playing that campaign to moving into podcasting? Well, so I used to host a game at my friend's um, friendly local game store here in the area. Um, and it just got to, I mean, first of all, I had a lot of players at my table because there was a lot of interest in the area and I guess not a lot of places running D&D games at the time. And so I had like eight players, which was really oh, wow. hard to manage. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> and, you know, if any of them ever listened to this, I want to make sure I say this in the mo- in the nicest way possible because I really wasn't upset, like that upset. But like, you know, we just had people who would come like, who didn't like weren't prepared or didn't like you know f- couldn't figure out how to like work with their characters or like level them up or doing these you know like it just the the, it, the sessions started to kind of fall apart in that way because like you know we'd get together we only have a certain amount of time before the store closes and you know half of it's spent just making sure that everyone's character sheets are up to date yeah doing the admin work which some people love doing but overall a lot of people struggle with it so I, yeah i totally understand that it's easy right. to get bogged down and then it very much is and i think mm-hmm. that i think i was taking it a little bit too granularly you know what i mean so mm-hmm. like I, I there was definitely like it, it just i f- i felt if i went too much with the rules as written right like it just mm-hmm. there's so it's so expansive that like it i think it becomes overwhelming for people especially who are new to the game so I decided to we would just kind of end that campaign because, you know, people would just, you know, stop showing up and things like that. But some of my like best friends that I made at that table invited them to my house to start a podcast. And, you know, they were really into the idea. And I the amount of like, growth we've like done and like the, <laughs> the, 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 the shift from like, you know, like this gigantic table full of players who like, you know, were having a hard time interacting to like now, like just like, I don't know, people who've surprised me as like incredibly awesome role players uh just kind of got us all together i got a few new friends into the game we simplified things a lot and it just it, 
I, I don't know. It's it's the best campaign I've ever been a part of. Oh, I mean, that's nice to hear. And I think it's definitely true that like the game is different for everyone and different players have totally different dynamics within their game and people are looking for different things. So it's it's nice to hear that you found that that scenario that, that suits you and your players. Right. Because that's something that I guess I you know, it's a, it's a it's a big thing in the you know role, the tabletop like role playing community, right? It's like you 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 want to find the it's not just like the campaign or whatever that you're playing through. It's the people that you know you're surrounding yourself with that like you know like you want to like it's you should if you do it with friends it just it means a lot or you make new friends doing it. You know if you're all in it together it it it, it can only succeed. Oh yeah, that's why we're always rec- mm-hmm. like quietly recruiting from amongst our friends. It's like oh you don't play D anD D. Let me oh, show you. you. Yeah, yeah, you right. Will. Exactly. <laughs> Let me show you how fun yeah. it can be. Right. No, no. I, we have a more subtle approach. But first, it's like dropping little hints of like, well, I'm playing D&D this weekend. They go, oh, that's interesting. And then you start to mention some of the amazing experiences you're having. And then you wait for them to come to you and ask to play D&D. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they hear how much fun you've been having. Yes. And I'm like, perfect. You fallen into our D&D trap. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and you failed your deck save. Even yeah. <laughs> One of us. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so it's not exactly like that, but it's happened a few times that way. And uh, I think it's it's always fun to make new friends uh, through the game, but also to bring people who are friends into that as a, as a hobby who weren't familiar with it before. I mean, exactly. that's how Rachel brought us in. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like uh, you're pretty happy with 5th edition. Is that your favorite uh, RPG system to play? Um, You know, I think it, I think it depends, right? Um, but I would say that it, it, I mean, at least right now, it's definitely my favorite. I think that it's, you know, and so much is sort of spawned from Dungeons and Dragons that it, I feel like everything reminds me of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I, I really like, you know, the, sort of the, the, the spinoffs of it, of, you know, things like Dungeon World or, you know, even just like more simple tabletop games. Well, I'm, okay, I say simple and I'm putting that in air quotes because it's not... Right. <laughs> uh, but it's, like, you know, like House, like Betrayal at House on the Hill, things like that, where it's like, you know, it's it's a board game, but you could still get into character. I think that no matter what kind of tabletop game you're playing, you're kind of always a little bit in character. So like, I just like anything that lets you do that. Have you played Betrayal at Baldur's Gate yet? No, but I heard <laughs> that it's incredible. So I got to get It's so it much fun. Uh, it's really fun. Unless, um, well, we had one scenario. Uh, do you want to talk about it, Rachel? Or is it still? You mean where I was the traitor, but not the traitor, but I was the traitor? <laughs> And it was just super confusing. <laughs> so basically, our party were terrible people, we found out, and we wanted to like do the worst thing possible. And her, she was the quote unquote traitor who was like, no, stop, don't awaken like this demon. And we're like, I think we should awaken the demon. This yeah. seems like a good idea. No, we wanted gold. And they yeah. said, don't open the box. And we thought there's gold in the box. And what was in the box, Tony? It was a Medusa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, meanwhile, I'm like running away. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I highly recommend yeah. it. It's a yeah, lot of fun. That sounds like good fun. Yeah. That was that was so weird because you became the traitor, but then you were back with the party again because we were the real traitors. Yeah, because you were the real traitors because you released the monster. Meanwhile, I was like, I read my piece and basically just was like, all the bad guys are working for you now. Don't read past this point until they open the box. And I was like, it was... <laughs> all of you know three sentences and two bullet points right. that i had to read and then the last you know there was a whole another page after they opened the box but i was like well i'm done i guess i'll just sit here and pet the dog while i'm waiting for them to tell me i can come back in the room <laughs> okay because we then made a beeline for the box and everything you know yeah and i made a beeline away from the box i'm like nope <laughs> wow uh, yeah, so I highly recommend that. If you like Betrayal at House on a Haunted Hill, you will love Betrayal at Baldur's Gate because it's essentially the same game, but it's got that D&D flavor. Right, and, and the Forgotten Realms kind of setting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels homey in a yeah, that's awesome. murdery way. In a murder, <laughs> way. In a murder hobo scenario. Okay, so the last question, this is the one that people say is the hardest. Uh, it's, do you have a favorite memory or moment that you are most proud of as a DM or a player? Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot of them, actually. Um. I think you know, we've, allowed, f- we've allowed two. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> One from uh, each side of the screen. So, I mean, because like, actually, and a lot of them have been just through this, like this podcast that we've been doing, just like this campaign and story we've been telling, because, you know, like I'm doing it with like all of like my closest friends and it's just some of like the wacky things that happen or like the unexpected ways that players handle certain situations. Let's see. I think I, I think I have one. Okay. So... 
I think that it's it's funny because like in in our in our podcast like I um I'm both a player and a DM like we rotate every story arc between myself and um Dave the other host mm-hmm. and so like this moment is sort of actually something that I experienced as both a player and a DM because when we first started our show like way way back I think it was like the I think our first episode came out October 3rd, 2016. The only reason I remember that is because of the Mean Girls line. You know, it's October 3rd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we actually started recording in July of that year. And we started with this, like, module that, like, I, you know, like a little tutorial module I did. But then I wanted to kind of bring it into something to highlight um, uh, someone I had read this module they put on the DMs Guild. I, I think you guys are familiar with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, oh, yeah. And it was about this like sort of lost Modron, and I was like, "This is like a perfect way to start." <laughs> is it the Justice Fist? Uh, I don't think so. It's actually it's called okay. uh, a boy in his Modron. Oh, oh, I know that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so we ran. I, I, I that was that was the first arc that I ran uh, before nice. we started homebrewing and doing like our own story. I wanted to like give them like a sort of like a lighthearted job to like kind of get them started as adventurers, right? And you know, this Modron kind of became a staple in the story. And you know, our audio quality was crap back then. Like everything was like it was just like a mess. But like the story itself and like the moments that happened through that were amazing. And like you know. Uh, I guess I'm going to say spoiler alert right now. If you are going to start at the beginning, you know, at some point the Modron uh, leaves, right? (gasps) And, you know, that that was like the end of it. A bunch of other stuff happened. I'm not going to spoil anything. But later on, like, I mean, we're talking like this is something we maybe released in the last three or four weeks from by the time this episode airs, it's probably been about a month or two, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And what my brother is now a part of the campaign, and he's playing a wild magic sorcerer. One of the wild magic effects <laughs> is yeah. that a Modron appears in an unoccupied space within five feet of you. Mm-hmm. So what Modron appears? Oh, <laughs> it was the most like, and I mean, just the reaction because like I was playing, like Dave was DMing that 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 arc, so like you know, he and I both like got a chance to play this Modron. And just like the reaction of everybody being like, oh my God, is that him? <laughs> is uh, it really him? Yeah, that it just like, like I just go back and listen to it sometimes too, because it's just like, oh, like that was just like, how, how serendipitous, you know? <laughs> it just, it felt complete, like the story yeah, arc. Like full night. circle. Yeah. It was perfect. And but the thing is, like, it only he only appears for like I think like a round. So like you know, you get six, <laughs> essentially like six seconds to talk to the guy, and then he's gone. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. But Return six seconds to his home. <laughs> what was his name? The Modron. Thirty-one squared. Of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> Oh awesome. god, it was yeah. oh it was one of my favorites for sure. Um, I, I mean, there's and there's a lot of others, but that's the one I think that stands out to me the most because it was like a very long running sort of like one that kind of laid dormant for a bit. It was like that little seed that was planted way at the beginning, and just to see it like come full circle was amazing. You're like, he's really here, and then oh, but he must return. And he's home gone again. To his yep. own plane. Yep. Oh yeah, it's funny how like committed you could get to NPCs in <gasps> games. Oh, like, it's very gosh. true. It's very true, oh especially God. NPCs that maybe had nothing to do with anything, and they were just like <laughs> someone random you would insert inserted. But the moment they have a name, yeah. the players latch on to They're it, gonna and die. that's it. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, so, t- like, Tony, <laughs> yeah, remember Glabagool? Oh, you guys, lo- like, you realize he wasn't supposed to stick around for that long. You have to explain who Glabagool was. So, mm-hmm. okay, I, I ran out of the abyss, and there's this one. Um, side quest (laughs) map area that they they basically go uh the floor collapses and they fall and find this old temple and in this old temple they initially just see some floating armor and then two little eyeballs appear and they notice it's a uh gelatinous cube yeah oh nice okay and it just starts speaking to them telepathically in this very like innocent kind of really interested in what they are type of voice and it called itself Glabagool because it liked the name. <laughs> and we're like, because oh, Glabagool, you're so cute. So but... they just talked to it. We're super friendly. And they like, hey, you have like a little mace and some armor in you. Can you spit that out? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, sure thing. And just spits all this out. And 
here it is moving at a 15 foot movement speed to keep up with the party. Uh, and we realized eventually he could not continue to adventure with us because he was, well, not, so slow, so slow and not very useful in combat. So we decided to like send him off into the Underdark on his quest for adventure. Um, but assuming there was... we would never see him again. Well, okay. Aww. Slight backstory on this and, and slight spoiler for it. He was essentially awakened with intelligence when uh, Weeblex, Demon Lord of Oozes, appeared in the Underdark. <laughs> and he just wants to see everything. <laughs> wow. He's so interested in everything. And there was like twice where the party were dealing with uh, oozes all over the place. And he came in and just stood in the oozes way because they can't <laughs> hurt him. Because he's immune to acid, and he would just block the tunnel and, and just be, be like, like "Hi guys, to the rescue again!" And he would just like come and like you know jello his way into the scene. That's so amazing. And they this random gelatinous cube just became like a little pet for the party for a little yeah, while. I also that's what they yeah, do. I was gonna say I'm also a huge fan of like taking intimidating NPCs, but then giving them like really innocent sort of like voices or dialogue or whatever, <laughs> yeah. just to kind of like you know like, you kind of like build them not? up to be like to be really afraid, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this thing is harmless. Oh, oh, it's just a friendly cube of Jello. Right? Oh, how lovely. <laughs> uh, hello, little Jello person. <laughs> oh gosh, I think the one part you guys like died slightly at was. You you started to approach him. He's like, "No, no, don't touch me. People get hurt when they touch me." And we're like, "Oh, he's so <laughs> sweet. sweet of you. Can we yeah. keep him?" Actually, no. That was everybody else. My character was a drow, and she was like, "No, we can't keep him. No, this is not practical." They're like, "Please." So, I was like, "No, this is not a practical pet slash party member. No, but it's the oh. most practical pet and party member." Is there? I mean. I think it's the nature of players to try to adopt things that they shouldn't. Yes. Especially oh, sure. Rachel. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rachel's that player. Literally anything that can walk, Rachel will try to like adopt and bring into the party or send back to the to like their base. I'm just trying to give them jobs. <laughs> uh-huh. Just trying to help the economy. Uh-huh. <laughs> just what I gotta do. She's just a caring person. I just wanted to say thanks so much, Francesco, for joining oh, it us. Oh, it was my this. it was an absolute pleasure. This is like probably one of my favorite topics to discuss because there's so many different ways you can interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you guys having me with you. Yeah. Uh, did you want to go ahead and add where we can find you at as well? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, we're on Twitter at Hapless Heroes. If you can want to listen to our show, it's we're on all the major podcast aggregators: iTunes, Google Play. Uh, Stitcher, whatever other you know ways you listen to your podcasts are, we'll show up on the search more than likely. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, you know, I should again just quickly just, we, we we do have a content disclaimer, but you know, it's I know it's not going to be for everybody. We can be a little, I guess, we get a little carried away with ourselves, but it's you know, it's never ever too bad. It's just something that I you know you wouldn't want like your children listening to probably. Are what, you guys like PG-13? Uh, it would probably PG-17? more go like R-rated, you know? Okay, like I'm just okay. going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, gotcha. I'd rather set realistic expectations. That's fair. <laughs> it's okay. Fair. As, as you've learned, we're like G, verging on potentially PG. In sure. Our... <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that either. It's just, there was no way that I was going to be able to achieve that with the individuals that I have yep. <laughs> at my table, and it's not. That is fair. It's, it's not to say anything bad about them. They're one. We are all wonderful human beings in real life. If anything, this is our outlet <laughs> to, to just play Aww. strange and crazy characters. So, um, but yeah, that's that's where you can find us. And I, I, again, like this is this was an awesome experience. It was a great conversation. I had a great time. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Thank you for joining us. Okay, thanks for having me. Yes.